Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, August the 25th, 2023. It is currently 12.04 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, I thought it was a great idea. Let's turn on the microphone. Let's begin a series on the doctrine of sanctification. I thought it was a great idea. In fact, I thought it was very important to kind of do this in conjunction with our ongoing study on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Because whenever you talk about the proper distinction between law and gospel, it'll only take about three seconds before someone accuses you of being an antinomian. So I thought, you know what? To balance that out, let's at least try to understand the doctrine of sanctification from a biblical perspective and try to maybe correct a lot of the misunderstandings on it. Well, as soon as you start doing that, once again, people are not going to necessarily (laughs) be in agreement with it. They're they're not necessarily going to, to like it because there is a way of thinking about sanctification that is so ingrained in the thinking in the American church, in the even evangelical mind, prob- probably globally, but I know the American church better than I know the global church. But in America, there's just a, a basic fundamental principle that is the foundation for thinking when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification. And that foundational principle is this. Sanctification and the minds of most Christians is predicated. It is based off this idea that when you became a Christian, something supernatural changed within you. You now were, you were now set free from sin. So now you can say no to sin and say yes to God. You were given power. And with this power, you can say no to sin and say yes to God. You've been given knowledge and insight. So now that you can understand scripture and understand exactly what God wants you to do. And God is literally leading you into all truth. In fact, the entire concept of sanctification in the minds of most Christians is predicated on this idea that you now have power. You now have ability. In fact, it really starts with this scripture. If you really think about it, in many ways, whether whether we want to say this or not, this is really the verse that kind of pre- is kind of sanctification is built on in the minds of many Christians. Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, most Christians read that and interpret that, that that is true of us practically. They don't, they do not apply this to our positional standing before God, but our practical reality that right now, you as an individual, if you are a Christian, if, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, that that's true of you in some practical way. Well, anyone who will take five seconds to think about that would be like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see a problem. Because if that is true practically, then what you're saying, the old nature has been completely eradicated. And now I no longer have a sinful nature because I'm a new creature. The old is gone and everything has become new. Well, that is not true. So immediately you would have to stop and go, wait a minute. This can't be true of me practically because not everything is new and the old is not completely gone because I'm still a sinful person with a sinful nature, with a sinful flesh. So, but nobody ever stops to think about this. We just preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. Tell everyone, hey, you're a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. Basically, you should be sinless. Now, we will always throw in, well, wait a minute, read the fine print. You will still continue to sin. And no, you can't be sinless. However, we still tell everyone they have this power. They have this ability. So in this study of sanctification, we have talked a lot now about this whole concept of supposedly having power, and I have called it into question. And when you call it into question, let me make it very clear, all of a sudden, your teaching on sanctification, (laughs) 
becomes very, 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 very unpopular because people want to hear you've got power, you've got ability. But I, my thing is, do you want to be told something and you run around pretending something to be true when everything around you screams at you like that is not the case? That is not the reality. You are a sinner. You have a sinful nature. You cannot be sinless. You can never come anywhere close to sinlessness. In fact, the more you grow as a Christian, the more you're going to realize how sinful you really are. You're going to understand the depth of the sin inside of your mind and your nature. You're going to realize you fall short of to God's law and your thinking and your desires and your feelings and your emotions and your actions. So immediately you should go, well, wait a minute. If, if the more, the more I'm growing as a Christian, the more I realize how sinful I am, then I need to start challenging and questioning all of this teaching that says I have power, I have ability, I've been set free. Because in practice, clearly that's not the case. In my position is 100% true. In my position, I am dead. I've been crucified with Christ. In my position, I don't sin. I am holy. I am perfect. I am righteous. I am obedient because of the righteousness and obedience of Christ being accredited to my account. There is a positional reality that is so very different than the practical reality. And Christians have a hard time separating that. But what we do is we try to base our sanctification on this idea of being set apart and becoming more and more holy practically on this idea of power. So what I want to do is I want to take 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, I know in our study, in our study here of sanctification, we're using the Bible study guide, Bible Studies for Life, the summer 2023 issue, and we are, we've been looking at a number of scriptures, Right, We've been looking at a number of scriptures. In fact, I'll go back here to the beginning. We looked at Psalm 99, which ta- taught us about the holiness of God. We looked at Romans chapter 6 and all of the issues and how people interpret that. Then we had the very bizarre 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, where basically we were told in this Bible study guide that now you have the soup. Basically, you're given supernatural Knowledge. You're given this special knowledge by God so that now you know and you understand. And so now I guess you have special ability to, to live the Christian life out because you have basically almost like secret knowledge. Now, what we were supposed to do today is go to Romans chapter 12, then go to second John chapter, uh, uh, second John verses one through nine, then Philippians chapter three. And I wanted to just go through these. But because I've so emphasized this concept of sanctification in the minds of most Christians being based off power, well, then I thought, you know what? Let's take 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And immediately challenge how most people interpret that with 2 Corinthians itself. Because again, most people interpret 2 Corinthians 5.17 as being true of us in a practical way. They do not apply this to our positional standing, but a practical reality, which is a problem. So we're going to compare it to something in this very book that Paul wrote. In fact, it's not too far after this that Paul is going to say something else that should make you stop and go, wait a minute. Now, here is what we're going to do. Was it, I think it was late last night. I don't know when it was. I was on the Sermons 2.0 app and I subscribed to Ambassador, is it Ambassador Bible College? Let me look here really quick. Let me look here if I can find them. Let me look in my feed. Give me one second. We'll only take a second to find it. And we'll only take a second I subscribe. Yeah. Ambassador Baptist College. Ambassador Baptist College. If you have the Sermons 2.0 app, subscribe, follow the Ambassador Baptist College. Now, they're currently doing a series called Fall Semester 2023. They've just begun the fall semester. And these are the messages, I guess, being preached during the chapel service. Um at Ambassador Baptist College. So I'm going to listen to all of them this year. I'm going to definitely try. And their very first one that they did for the fall semester 2023 was in 2 Corinthians. And it wasn't 2 Corinthians 5.17. 
It was 2 Corinthians, well, I'm not going to tell you. We're going to listen together and we're going to review this because if, I don't know exactly which direction they're going to go with this. Remember, I don't always review the, I don't review the audio first because I like to react to it in real time. I just hit play, immediately heard what the passage was and was like, stop, 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 stop. We have to talk about this in the sanctification series. We have to talk about this in our series on being set apart because Christians today, their whole concept is that the way we are sanctified, the way we are set apart starts with the idea that supposedly we are a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. I don't know why. I don't know how you can believe that that is true practically and at the same time believe that sanctification is occurring. It's already done. (laughs) You would have to believe there's nothing more. I don't need to be sanctified because I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. What is there to be sanctified? How do I need to be? I'm already set apart. I'm already sanctified. I'm already holy. The old is completely gone. If you even think about it logically, you would realize, well, wait a minute. This would seem to contradict the entire teaching of sanctification. We would have to believe sanctification is an instantaneous act that happened immediately when we were saved because we are in Christ. We are a new creature. The old is gone. All is new. Then you would have to reduce sanctification to nothing more than a positional standing and has nothing to do with being practically set apart. But nobody stops to think this through. Nobody talks about this in church. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just a little bit later, is going to say something else. And Ambassador, uh, Ambassador Baptist College, they talked about it at the beginning of their fall semester 2023. You want to hear what they had to say? Now, we're not going to review all of this right now. I don't know if we're going to make this into a, 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 you know, an ongoing review until we finish the entire sermon, but I at least want to start here because I want you to think about how you reconcile this passage they're getting ready to read with 2 Corinthians 5.17. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's stand as we read the scripture, please. I direct your attention this morning to verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Did you catch that? Did you catch the emphasis that the speaker was making as he read the passage. Let me back it up and let's play it one more time. Here we go. Well, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's stand as we read the scripture, please. I direct your attention this morning to verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Did you hear that? Let us cleanse ourselves. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Paul told us that if if, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Well, if the old is completely gone and everything is new, then what am I cleansing myself from? Now, once again, I believe 2 Corinthians is speaking of our positional reality. In Christ, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. All is new. And when I look at another Christian, I am to see and treat them on the base of their positional standing. I am to see them as a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. All is new. You don't hold their sin against them. They're they're a new creature in Christ. It's all been gone. But this is speaking of our positional reality. Practical reality is in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us claim cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We then now have something we have to do, something we have to work out, something we must struggle against. Now, my Bible points me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 17 
And, and, and we read this, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Once again, giving you something you must do. You must come out. You must do. You must cleanse yourself. You There's something you must do. Now, this has to be sanctification in the most practical way. You can't quote 2 Corinthians 5, you're a new creature in Christ, as somehow the foundation for your sanctification, unless you understand that 2 Corinthians is speaking of your position. And then you would say, the positional reality that is fixed and can never be changed because of what I am in Christ should motivate me then to seek to live out that in the most practical way as I can, even though it's going to be imperfect. Now, my question, my, my, I'm curious though, because I stopped right there when I heard this. How are they going to tell us to cleanse ourselves? Do they have the secret and how we cleanse ourselves? Now, typically what Christians once again teach is you can cleanse yourself because you've been endued with some kind of supernatural power. But if you've been endued with some supernatural power to cleanse yourself, well, then logic would dictate supernatural power, the power of God giving you the power to cleanse yourself. You should be able to cleanse yourself to perfection. But then we come back and say, no, 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 no. Even though you've been set free, even though you have the power of God, you can't get to perfection, which then would seem to limit the power that we've been given. So how much power have we been given and how clean can we actually get? I don't, I doubt they're going to even go in there, go there, but I'm assuming we're going to get the basic. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing we're going to be told, how do you cleanse yourself? You read your Bible, you go to church, you join a small group, you pray. It's going to be the basic, you know, one, two, three, four, five. I could be wrong, but that's what I, I feel is going to happen. But let's back this up. Let's review at least a little bit of this, at least a little bit, and then we'll just see where it goes. And then maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll review all of it over time. We will see, but I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 2 Corinthians 7.1, put them next to each other on a piece of paper, and I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate on it, and I want you to see that, that your theology has to be able to embrace these ideas in a way that's logical and consistent, and not just buy into all the stuff that pastors say that clearly doesn't match the reality that we all know. Well, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's stand as we read the scripture, please. I direct your attention this morning to verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Lord, we need your help. We need your blessing and your power upon this service as has already been prayed. And Father, I pray that every one of us would lay our hearts bare before you. We would come to you with the attitude of the psalmist when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And Father, I pray that when you point out things in our lives, that we would be quick and we would be ready and uh, we, would, we would be obedient to deal with it according to the will and power of the Holy Spirit of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I'm to the place in life now when my children are beginning to leave the house. I have two adult children. That's what they wanted me to say about them, and so that's what I'll say. But I have two adult children that are, for, for all intents and purposes, out of the house until they need money. And uh, then they come back. But at any rate, um, I, I, and as I'm in this time of life, I look back at my own parents. My own upbringing was a tremendous upbringing. I, I absolutely loved just about every part of it. You see, I didn't have any sisters growing up. It was all boys in our home. And that's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful environment. I would highly recommend it to anyone if, if, if the Lord allows you to do that. But I will say this. There is a crown in heaven for my mother. All right? My mother went through things that, uh, that, not mo I tell you, anybody, anybody who only has girls, they just, 
there's just something about life that they miss out on. That's just a fact. But uh, anybody that has just boys, there's some things that they miss out on too. Well, I, the word drama comes to mind. But beyond that, beyond that, there's some things that just uh, having all boys, it's just, it, it, there's got to be a crown. I haven't found it in the Bible, but there's got to be a crown for my mother. I remember the, the family vacation where we were going to the state park. It was the month of November. Why we were vacationing in November, I don't remember. But we got to the state park, and the plan was for us all to be in a tent. And so we're getting there, and we're navigating through this park. It was in South Carolina. And, uh, and my mother sees a sign that says, Do not feed the alligators. <laughs> and when my mother saw that sign, she said to my father, she said, I am not sleeping in a tent. I will sleep in the back of the truck, but I'm not going to sleep in a tent in a park that says, do not feed the alligators. She said, the boys can sleep in a tent. (laughs) The older I've gotten, the more disturbing that statement is to me, but... uh... At any rate, that's the kind of thing she went through. One of the most difficult things that she went through was trying to teach boys how to get clean. If you don't understand this right now, ladies, you'll come to know it in due time. A boy is a noise with dirt on it. Okay, that's what a boy is. Okay, I see where he's going. Okay, fine. I, 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 I always, I know stereotypes are sometimes based off truth, but I can just say that I was a boy and, uh, no, no. If I got dirt anywhere, I, I know I never like to be dirty and I, to this very day, I, at a minimum, I take two showers a day. At a minimum, if I go outside, I'm adding another. If even if I don't go outside, I'm waking up, can't do anything without a shower, cannot go to bed with before I have a shower, and if I do anything at all, go outside, then I'm taking a third shower. All right, so all right, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Stereotypes. I, it is very true. It is very true that. That, 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 that lots of boys are like that. Okay. Now I know he's using this mainly to get us to second Corinthians seven about being clean. All right. So let's see. I'm curious. So how is he going to tell us to be clean? How is he going to tell us to be clean? How, 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 how? Let's see. Let's see. Clearly we got to be something to be clean from, right? Meaning therefore you cannot interpret second Corinthians five to mean if anyone's in Christ is a new creature, old things are passed away, all things have become new because there would be nothing to clean. That has to be true of us positionally, but practically we've got a lot to still clean because we have a sinful nature, but I want to make it very clear. Whatever we clean in our practice, we're only usually cleaning up an action. We may be trying to clean up a thought, but we can never truly clean the real issue, which is a sinful nature, which will be there till glorification. So even when we talk about be clean, wait a minute, there's only, there's only a certain level of cleanliness we can get to. And everyone agrees we can't get to sinless, well, not everyone. Most Christians agree you cannot get to sinless perfection. There are some groups out there who refer to some kind of sinless perfection. Most believe you can never get there. So that already means there's a limit to your cleanliness, even in your actions. Well, you're never going to be clean internally, ever, ever. Let's see how he handles all of these issues. Just understand that. A boy, it is a series of miracles by Almighty God that any boy ever makes it to manhood. Now, that's a fact. That's a fact. There are things that I did when I was a boy that are still classified from my parents. They still don't know. Okay? And they're watching this live stream, so I'm not going to say any of the things that are still classified. All right? But the truth is, my mother had to teach us how to be clean. She had to go through that process with every single one of us. And I want you to understand that was a big part of our training as little boys to try to become men. Can I tell you something? Being clean is not just important physically, it's important spiritually. And here in this verse of Scripture, the Apostle Paul gives us some truths. And in these truths, he compares being right with God and being free from sin to being clean physically. Notice the language. Now, being free from sin. I hear Christians say that all the time. Being free from sin. Nobody is free from sin. 
So that, that's what I do not understand the Christian mentality when it comes to sanctification. It, no one is free from sin because everyone maintains a sinful nature all the way till glorification. No one is free from sin. You may say, I'm free from this particular external act, but you're not free from sin. One, because you have other external acts that still will not ma- match up to God's law. Secondly, you're still clearly very much not free from sin internally. So I, I, I'm so, I get so tired of having to try to correct this over and over and over and over and over, but Christians never seem to catch on. You can't say you can be free from sin. No, I cannot. Practically, I am absolutely free from sin positionally because the imputed righteousness and holiness of Christ is imputed to my account. So I stand before God perfectly holy without sin. So I am free positionally. I am not free practically, nor can I ever be free Practically, that's why glorification involves receiving a glorified body that no longer has the corruption of sin in it. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, here it is. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I'm going to tell you something. Before you can be blessed of Almighty God, here is a student at Ambassador Baptist College, before you can discern the will of God going forward from this place, before you can, uh, before you can find the, the marriage partner that God has for you and just all the blessings that God has, you're going to first of all have to be clean. You're going to Wow. So before you can truly find your marriage partner, before you can truly understand the will of God, you have to be clean. (laughs) That means every Christian marriage is flawed because there's been no two Christians who found their marriage partner and did so clean because no one is truly clean. Are you, how are you defining clean? Are you defining clean as partially clean? 50% clean? Cause no one is a hundred percent clean. To be a hundred percent clean would be sinless perfection. So how can you look at people and say, you can't know who to marry and you can't know the will of God until you're clean? <laughs> Any student there, again, this is supposedly a college. College, college students, Christian young people who go to Christian colleges, please do not throw your brain out. Use logic. Listen to what you're being told because so many things you hear within Christianity is completely illogical and contradictory. And any logical person would be like, well, wait a minute. I've got to be perfectly clean in order to find a marriage partner. I got to be perfectly clean in order to understand the will of God and make make it very clear. The only way you're going to understand the will of God is reading your Bible. So if I've got to be perfectly clean in, in order to understand the Bible, then I'm never going to understand the Bible because I'm never going to be perfectly clean. This stuff drives me so, this stuff drives me. It almost drives me to drinking. All right, let, let's continue. have to be right with God. Here's the reality. We live in a world that is sin-soaked. Everywhere around us, there's sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everyone we meet is a sinner. And if we're not careful, the dirt and the filth and the grime of this world will cling to us. I'm talking to some of you. You've got lingering habits that are taking place in the summer. And I'm telling you this morning, it's time to get clean. It's time to get right with God. Oh, now see, that's such a convoluted statement. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. But hey, the filth of this world can cling to you. No, 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 no. The filth of the world is not the issue. It's the filth inside of you. Christians always want to fight the external filth. The filth originates inside. I'm so tired of Christians pointing to Hollywood or this or that or that going, there's the problem. The pro- Go look in a mirror. There's the problem. The problem arises from within you. You are the sinner. You have the sinful nature. All the only thing that happens in the world is the world produces that which people want. They, they produce what people desire. 
I've told the story a million times because it had a profound impact when I first heard the story. There was a story of a gentleman who every morning he stopped by this like convenience store to get, I don't know, coffee, whatever in the morning. And one day he came in and he realized that they'd put up a magazine rack and it was, it had pornography, right? It was, there was all these pornographic magazines and he, he got in his truck and was all bothered and upset about it. And so the next day he came there and he, he called, he asked to talk to the manager and he's like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I won't be able to come back to this store anymore. And he's like, why? He's like, because of the pornography. He's like, oh, you're offended by it. And he goes, no, no, I'm not offended by it. I want it. I want to buy it. I desire to see it. I desire to look at it. The issue is not that I'm offended. The issue is I'm not. I want it. I desire it. And so if I keep coming back here, I'm going to buy it. That to me, that's the most honest thing I've ever heard in my life. The issue is inside of us. Look, if we didn't have the sinful nature inside of us, the filth of the world would not be attractive to us. The, the reason we're tempted by the filth of the world, the reason we find ourselves clinging to it, the reason we find ourselves pursuing it is because we have something inside of us that wants it, which proves that we're not a new creature in Christ and the old is gone and all is new. Practically, that's true of us positionally because practically we the, the issue is inside of us. We always want to fight the external filth. Start with the internal desire for the external filth. It's inside of you and me. You see, some of you are going to let those habits sit dormant through the semester, but round about the, the middle of December, you, you're, not, you're, you're going to say, I can't wait to get back because when I get back in the privacy of my room, I'll be able to go back to that habit that has, that has laid dormant all the time that I've been at school. But I want to tell you something, that is a filth, it is a dirt, it is, a, it is it's vile, and it is something you need to get clean, and you need to get it right today. I want, to, I want to preach a message I've entitled, To Be Clean. I want you to notice very simply from this verse, the Apostle Paul gives us a motive. He gives us a motive for being clean. Notice what he says. He says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Now, the promises are not given in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, but we don't have to look very far before we find them. Your Bibles are open there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. The Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them. There's a group of people from whom we are to separate. Come out from among them, he says, and be, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. There are not only some people from whom we should separate. There are some activities. There are some things from, from which we should separate. So we haven't seen any promise yet. But look at verse 17. He says, and I will receive you. I will receive you. There we have the first of the promises referenced in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. Now, this promise, I will receive you. Brother Hanky, for a long time, I wrestled with this. There are people today who make a big deal, uh, uh, poking fun, not just poking fun, but uh, attacking fundamentalists. And they say, you fundamentalists seem to make out as if God loves people, some people more than he does others. And I struggled with that for a long time because I know, I know that the love of God to me and the love of God to you is not based upon your works, nor is it based upon mine. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, not while we were good, not while we were righteous, but in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we know the love of God is irrespective of your works and of mine. Then what does the scripture mean when he says, if you will do these things, I will receive you. All right. Now, this is interesting. So he is identifying the promises in 7-1 with the supposed promise and six, so in seven one, the promises mentioned there, he finds the first promise in six seventeen. Now, I wonder if all commentaries agree with this approach. What what do we think? Do you think all commentaries agree with this approach? Do you? Let's let's take a look here. I'm gonna I'm gonna open up all, a lot of different sources here. I'm gonna go with this one just because I know it's already. It's right here. It's easy to get to. I'm going to go, well, if I can get it to open. Here we go. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to go to 7, well, okay. 
Well, that's not helpful. They skipped seven one. Oh, now here we go. The promises of God's blessing. It says, "Okay, I think they do quote. I think they do go there." All right. Yeah, they don't. They don't do much with it. They're not. They're not super helpful. They're not super helpful. Let's go here. I'm going to type in Second Corinthians. That that commentary was not of much help. I wasn't going to sit there and read all of it because it would take us, you know, forever if I do that. Let's see here. Right, I'm going to go to a couple of commentaries here. All right. Um, having therefore these promises. All right. Uh, let's see here. They skip the promises. They go straight to the cleansing. All right. Okay. This one goes to the promises in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. All right. Um, okay. Here we go. Not helpful. Not helpful. Uh, see here. They don't help us. I'm looking. Not helpful. Okay, this one, the promises, Second uh, Corinthians six seventeen through eighteen. All right, they go here. Uh, this one skips it. All right, this one, this one. Okay, wait. Uh, okay, having therefore these promises of God dwelling in us and walking with us, of God being our Father and making and owning us as His sons, which promises are made to true penitents that will touch no unclean thing. All right, so having therefore these promises that God will walk in His temple and dwell in His churches, be their God and they people. So it looks like He is right that most do believe that the promises are here in Second uh, Corinthians chapter six. Now this is a little confusing to me, right? Because it says, okay, so. The promise, though, is predicated on what you do. It's not even almost like, I, I know that it's being referred to as a promise, but if you go to 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18, is it really a promise? It seems like it's a reward for what you do. Hey, if, if you come out from among them and be ye separate, and if you touch not the unclean thing, then I will receive you. So the promise is predicated on what you do. But if you've already done those things, if you've already come out from among them uh, that are separate, and if you've already stopped touching the unclean thing, then why do you need to cleanse yourself? In chapter 7, verse 1, the promise is if you do these things. So, so to get the promise, I already have to do the thing. So then why would... Is it then just basically repeating the same thing? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. So the promise is, hey, if I will cleanse myself, then I will, then God will receive me. He will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters and saith the Lord Almighty. All of that sounds like salvation. So are you telling me my sal the promise of salvation is if, or are you say, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with salvation. Well, I will receive you. That sounds like salvation. I will be a father unto you. That sounds like salvation. You shall be my sons and daughters. That sounds like salvation. So are we saying that I cannot be saved until I come out from among them and be separate and touch no longer the unclean thing? And I should cleanse myself so that I can get the promise. That, that sounds like a, this sounds like a very law-based salvation here. We have to, we have to give this some serious thought. I mean, that language, I will receive you. You will, I will be a father unto you. So God's not going to be a father unto you until you separate and until you no longer touch the unclean thing and until you've cleansed yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That all of that sounds absolutely works based. Now, is this where we need the proper distinction between law and gospel? I mean, what do we do with this?
I, I, ah. I, there, there's, there's something we got. I got some ideas, but, but I'm just going to kind of, I mean, remember in these series, I love to leave things for you to struggle with, for you to talk about, for you to meditate on, for you to think about. I, I like my podcast not to be passive. I want you to be participating. I want you struggling with this, right? Let's see where they go with this. I was preaching in camp in New Mexico and, uh, you know, preaching in camp is a, is a great time. Preaching in junior camp is a great time. Um, I don't know why they run junior camps past Wednesday, Brother Beal, because after Wednesday they're all asleep anyway. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just that they've never run 30 miles in one day in their life, much less three days put together. But anyway, in junior camp you've got to engage the kids. And I was, I was pondering on this and I was praying through it and I'd been meditating on it for a long time. I will receive you. What does it mean? Well, in that camp, we had a couple that uh, that helped a lot with things. Uh, the, the man was, he was just very, very good with his hands. He was in the construction business, and uh, he was really good for camp as far as the personality because he was a 50-year-old man that had never grown up. Have you met those kind of people? Yeah, that was, that was Brother Jeff, good man. But uh, he was just great for camp because he'd kind of never grown up. Now his wife was on the opposite end of the personality spectrum. She was a nice lady, but uh, she was trained as a school teacher at Northern Arizona University. And I got the idea that you didn't cut up in her class. She was in charge of the horse program. And if you were one of her horses, you as a horse were not allowed to eat with a saddle on your back and a bit in your mouth. Now, I don't know much about horses, but I know one thing. They're always looking for something to eat. But her horses, I mean, they had to toe the line. I thought to myself, wow, this, this woman is some kind of disciplined. And uh, so she was, she was at camp as well, and they'd been married for 19 years. Just a wonderful couple. Well, I, I wanted to illustrate this concept. I will receive you. What does it mean? So I went to Brother Jeff. I said, Brother Jeff, I need you to help me with something. Would you be willing to do that? He said, sure. I said, during the preaching, would you just amble out of the open-air pavilion, and would you just get down on the ground and just roll in the dirt? Now, in my mind... I thought that that would be a tremendous distraction for junior age kids. I thought they would see a 50-year-old man rolling in the dirt and think, what in the world is that? Honestly, it wasn't nearly as distracting as it was supposed to be, Brother Spencer. They looked and said, oh, it's just Brother Jeff. We knew he did that in his spare time anyway. And they honestly didn't give him a second look. They looked, it's Brother Jeff. And then they were back to looking at me. But at any rate, in that state, when Brother Jeff was full of the dust and the, and the grime of the Gila National Forest, uh, he came up onto the platform. He was here. His wife, Kelly, was here. And, uh, and I looked at Kelly. I said, Kelly, I want to ask you a question. Do you love this man? She said, I love him dearly. She, I said, how long have you been married? She said, we've been married over 19 years. We met many years ago, and uh, I love him dearly. I said, would you be willing to wrap your arms around your husband that you love so dearly and give him a great big kiss right here in front of the entire camp? You can do that at camp, not so much maybe in chapel, but you can do that at camp. I said, would you be willing to do that? She said, no. I said, why not? Don't you love him? She said, I do love him, but I want him to be clean before I give him a hug. Do you understand God loves all of us equally? But there is a special promise from Almighty God. I will receive you. Some of you, if you don't deal with the sin that's right now harbored in your heart, there is always going to be a sense in which God seems at arm's length. Oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, I don't even know how to process this. Look, you're always going to be unclean. He he seems to he 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 won't deal with the reality of it. Let's see this. The young person like, oh, I want Jesus to hug me. I want Jesus to be able to receive me. Now I've got to be able to separate myself from from. Uh, I gotta I gotta come out from among them and be separate. I gotta touch not the unclean thing. I've got to cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I've got to perfect holiness in the fear of God. I basically have to be sinless. Then God. 
will receive me. I mean, I guess this has nothing to do with salvation, but God won't, I don't even understand that. So God loves you, but he won't receive you. He won't give you that special hug until you are clean. Well, then guess what? Then how clean do I have to be before I get the special hug? How clean do I have to be? Because every time you stand before God in your righteousness, no matter how righteous it may be, it is nothing more than filthy rags. You are still a sinner. Therefore, you would never get the special hug, whatever the special hug supposedly is, because you're always unclean to some level. So this reduces cleanliness to, I guess, just some very basic, 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 basic external actions. He's not even dealing with that. That that language sounds like salvation language. For God to receive you, for God to be unto you a father, for you to be his son and daughter, you have to be made perfectly clean. How are you made perfectly clean? Only in the imputed righteousness of Christ, not in what you do. You say, but it says cleanse ourselves. I know, I know, I know it does. So maybe is it, is it possible that we look at the first part going, how, how am I ever going to be, God is ever going to receive me. I'm never going to be able to do this. Christ does it for me. And because of Christ doing it for me, and now that I, he has received me, now that he is my father, now that I'm his son, now that I'm his daughter, because of that, now, then I cleanse myself in a practical way. Is that the only way to work around this? There's got to be a way to work around it for it to make sense. But if you tra- take this the way he's taking it, well, then you're never, you're, God's never going to receive you. You're never, he's never going to be. And I don't know how you can say this has nothing to do with salvation because when he says, I will be a father unto you, are you saying God stops being your father if you're not clean enough? Then this, this is a, this is a passage that would be used by Roman Catholics in any other works based gospel. Do not question the love of God in those times. It's not that God doesn't love you. He loves you enough to send His only begotten Son for you. What what stands between you and God is not a lack of His love, but it's rather the presence of our sin. What stands between you and God is not a lack of his love, but your sin. That is almost absolute apostate statement. There is nothing standing between me and God because he already died for all of my sins, right? If he died for them, then how can they stand between us? If he, if he died for them, they've been washed by his blood and he has given me his imputed righteousness. There is no sin that stands between me and him because it's been paid for unless you don't believe it's been paid for. And if I've been, if he's imputed his righteousness to me, and not only that, if he propitiated God's wrath on my behalf, there's nothing standing between me and God. You can't come along and say you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. However, your sin can be something between you and God. That this, oh, I'm telling you, sometimes I listen to non-Catholics and it reminds me of sitting and, and going to, to a Catholic university, learning Catholic theology. It's the same thing. Just, we just use very different terminology, but it's the same concepts. And let me tell you, you know why these concepts show up over and over and over? Cause clearly the Bible is not as clear as we want to pretend that it is because people constantly struggle with these issues. Cause you've got some passages that are very, very works based. The Bible says, if you'll get these things out of your life, I will receive you. I call that the promise of acceptance. I will receive you. There's another promise, though. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, and will be a father unto you. I call that the promise of authority. That's the promise of authority. If you get out and you begin to work in children's ministries in, uh, in churches in Cleveland County or wherever it is that you end up in the in local church, you're going to find this. One of the biggest problems in America today is fatherless children. They grow up, there is no father in the home, there is no father present, and I'm of the opinion that uh, God made male and female, that's a very important balance, it's a very important dynamic, and it's certainly very important when it comes to rearing children. 
And so we're going out into a society where there is no father. Well, the Bible says, if you will depart from among them and you will be separate and you will not touch the unclean thing, I will be a father unto you. God's not going to be your father unless you do these things. (laughs) You can't get much more works based than this. See, this is always the problem when we start talking about sanctification with inevitably within the American evangelical church, the discussion of sanctification almost in almost without fail in and in, in basically places into the gospel works. The, the discussion of sanctification in the American church almost inevitably corrupts and poisons the doctrine of justification. We can't stop ourselves. Like you're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. You're justified by an imputed righteousness, forensic justification. It's a legal declaration where God declares you to be perfect and holy and righteous. Now we're going to talk about sanctification. And then it's like, well, if, 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 then, then God will be your father. Then God will receive you. If, 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 then this proves you're saved. Well, wait a minute. I thought I was saved by a forensic justification where I was legally declared. You can't turn around and then add all of these additional ifs and maybes and this. This, this proves this and that. No, either I'm justified purely on grace by an imputed righteousness or what you're saying is I'm justified initially, but ultimately my justification will be dependent upon what I do or don't do, which is a very Catholic concept. So God will not be your father Unless you do, 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 do. And are you ever going to know if you've done enough? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, Christ may not receive you. He may not give you that special hug and he may not be your father unless you come out from among them, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing. I guess we'll just have to go ahead and add and cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of righteousness. I guess you basically have to be perfect. That's a great promise. That's a great promise. The, the three of us, my, my two brothers and I, my middle brother James, he decided we were going to keep doves one time. So he went out and he said, uh, we're going to buy some doves and uh, we're going to build a dove coat, which is a fancy word for a cage. We're going to build a dove coat, a big cage that is so big, these doves will not even realize they're in captivity. Yeah. I mean, hey. I think I was 12, maybe 11 at the time. We had some ambition, and we knew how to use our dad's tools. We were really good, especially leaving them out in the rain. We're very skilled at that. And so and my dad was a construction worker, so, man, we, we got the materials together, and we began to build, and uh, we knew you didn't put chicken wire on a dove cage because a hawk can get through there and kill the bird, so put rabbit wire on the cage. Everything was, everything was good. Everything was right. And, uh, and then we put a roof on it with a 50-year warranty. Because my dad was a roofer. He had those shingles left over. I mean, the whole thing was going to collapse before the roof did. And so we were so excited about it. And we said, Dad's going to be home pretty soon. We got to show him, man. This is really exciting. Dad, Dad, Dad. We could hear his truck coming. You got to see what we did. And so sure enough, he said, all right, boys, all right. Let me let me get a drink of water and uh, and now I'll, I'll be right out there. So sure enough, on the way through the kitchen, he grabbed some water, went out there and look, there it was. He could finally see it. And man, we were so pleased and proud of what we had done. My dad looked at it and he said, he said, boys, you're listing to starboard. He said, you're... Your cage is a parallelogram. It looks like it's about to fall over. Oh, no, Dad, it's not going to fall over. We have really fastened it well. And he said, well, boys, did you ever think to use a square? No, come to think of it, we didn't. Did you ever think of maybe using a level? No, come to think of it, we didn't. And you know, the whole project would have been so much different had only our father, the authority, been right there. So if we're not clean enough, then our father is not there. God abandons us. 
But if we're clean, then he will show up going, hey, you need to use a level. You need to use a square. Whatever those things are. I have no idea. But you've got to do this. Oh, this this is... See, whenever the church starts talking about sanctification, it almost becomes a direct attack upon justification. You've got to learn that. When your pastor starts talking on sanctification, watch and how he will undermine the doctrine of justification. Sanctification constantly undermines the doctrine of justification within the evangelical non-Catholic world. At least the Catholic world just says, hey, we merge the two together. I want you to understand something. God, as your authority, wants to be right there. The problem is there's a lot of people that through their sin have stiff-armed their Heavenly Father. God wants to be there. But there's a lot of Christians who have stiff-armed God. You can literally stiff-arm God away. And God's like, well, I want to be your father and I want to be there, but you don't want me to be there because you're a sinner. Please note, all of us are sinners, so I guess he's not there for any of us. Or are you only now going to reduce it to certain sins? Let me guess. Let me see if I can think of the sins. Let me see. Premarital sex. Boom. God can't be there. Wait, uh, pornography. But uh, of course, any sexual sin. Just name. The, if it's a sexual sin, that's it. That's it. It's over. It's done. I mean, of all the, I mean, you, we know how the church in America treats sexual, sexual sin is the, the, the grand sin. I mean, you can commit 900 other sins. Nobody even cares. It's, if sex is even remotely connected to your sin, it's scandal. It's shame. It's humiliation. It's the end of any other sin, you're basically like, it's okay. Not sex. So, you know, any sexual sin, you're gone. But what about the other sins? What about not loving God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? What about not being holy as God is holy? Is, 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 hey, he can't receive you and he can't be a father to you. Wait, so, so God is not my father because I'm a sinner? I guess so. This, this is a, woo, this is a mess, ladies and gentlemen. But the Apostle Paul says, because we have these promises, that's a motive to be clean. Not only is there the promise of acceptance, the promise of authority, there's a promise of association. Ye shall be my sons and daughters. You see it in verse 18? Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's a, great, that's a great thing. I can be associated with the God of heaven. When I was a boy growing up, there were times that I'd pull in and, uh, and uh, they'd say, what is your name, young man? Well, my, na- my name is Paul Crow. Oh, any association to the Crow Roofing Incorporated on the side of that work truck? Yes, sir, that's my father. That's my father. And I want to tell you, there were a lot of benefits and blessings that came with an association. And that's the association that God has in mind for you and for me. He says, listen, you come out from among them. You be separate. You touch not the unclean thing. You decide you're going to be clean in your life. Sin is not going to cling to you. I don't want it part of my life. You decide that. And the the Apostle Paul says, God has made the promise. He says, I will receive you. You'll be my sons and daughters. I will be a father to you. Having therefore these promises is dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves. I'm telling you, the motive for cleansing could not be greater. It could not be higher. It could not be more blessed than what it is in this passage of Scripture. I want you to notice number two. I, I just don't understand. What are you cleansing yourself? You've already come out from among them and be separate and you're not touching the unclean thing. And if you do that, then, 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 somehow this is supposedly a promise. If you do that, then I will receive you. Then I will be your father. Then you will be my son. And, but he doesn't want to connect that to salvation. So he's like, no, 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 this cannot be salvation. So this just means God will receive you not in a salvific way, but in a special way. He'll be your father. Well, not in a salvific way, just in a special way. And you'll be a son. Well, not in a salvific way and a special way. None of it makes any sense. If you've already done that, then what are you cleansing yourself from in 2 Corinthians 7? Oh, we've, uh, we have stumbled once again into an issue that I don't know if we are going to find suitable answers, but it is one that I hope everyone will be. See, this is what, look, no matter how my series goes, whether they're up or down in, or if you'll stick with my series, we always stumble upon something that requires great amount of work and effort because we're not afraid of asking the questions that everyone else will avoid. We have to ask ourselves these questions.
not only the motive of our cleansing, but I want you to consider the method of our cleansing. And this is amazing to me. I would not be surprised if the Apostle Paul had said something similar to what David said. All right, we're going to stop right there because we're at 59 minutes and he's just now going to get to the method, the method of our cleansing. So we're going to mark this down. And we're going to mark this down and we will cover this next time. I don't know what to tell you. I want you to just look, obviously, 2 Corinthians 5.17 has to be understood in a way that can somehow account for 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17, 18, chapter 7, verse 1. All right. I want you to give that some serious thought today and I'll stop right there. All right. You can email me all of your great answers to newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. If you want to listen to the uh, all of that sermon, to be clean from Ambassador Baptist College. They've started their fall semester. Look, obviously, I'm disagreeing with a lot here, but I still want you to listen to them. I still want you to follow them on the Sermons 2.0 app because I follow them. I listen to them all the time. But in this case, I think it's worth, hey, I think criticism is is due here because this passage, but, but I'm not criticizing them specifically because I think this passage is a messed up but how most people handle it because it's an obliteration of law and gospel and it's trying to teach sanctification at the expense of justification. And you need to be able to see whenever you're being taught sanctification, how it's undermining the very doctrine of justification, which you claim to hold to. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day, a great weekend. And uh, we'll see what we can, what broadcast we can get done today. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.